Good afternoon, listeners and viewers. This is Ron Stefanski with another episode of Disrupt Ed. And this, as you know, is where we talk to the do-gooders that determine those passionate, purpose-driven people out there who are making life better for those in the classroom, those pursuing their education and further learning, those who are upskilling, or those who need to know more about how to do that. I am joined today by an electric team of executives from Cambian Learning. And I got to tell you something, as you meet and hear from these folks, the power of what they bring to this conversation is palpable. Their energy and passion for education and the students out there is just inspiring. And you're going to hear that firsthand. You're also going to see something that we see in every episode, and you all know what that is. These are not only thought leaders. These are people who all express a very, very high GSD index. And for those of you who are just joining us for this first time, the GSD index means that they're not only thought leaders commanding the future as we're about to see it unfold, but they're also people who get shit done. They are doers. They are people who make things happen. So welcome this afternoon, first and foremost, to Ashley Anderson Zantop, the CEO of Camion. Ashley, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. We are also joined by Kemi Akinsanya Rose from Cambian, the Chief Operating Officer, and my dear and old friend, John Joriason, who's the Chief Marketing Officer, again, at Cambian Learning. The three of you, welcome. It is so great to finally have you on the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks, Ron. Good to be here. So let's kick this conversation off. So all of you are these master doers. You've all got these amazing pedigrees that brought you to this place and time. And so we're going to kick off by talking to you first, Ashley. You, um, you know, you have my heart. You're a fellow Wolverine. You're a Michigan grad. And then you went on and, and uh, got your MFA at Fairfield and then went on to Harvard after that. And you've been in the education space first as a teacher and then as an executive in the space. Um, so welcome. I want to start out by asking you, you know, when you look around um, in the in the classrooms that you serve with the students uh, and teachers that you serve, uh, you can't go very far without finding a lot of challenges that this ginormously disrupted world we're living in are creating in the classroom. And so from your perspective, as you look at it, and you have a broad swath of students to look at, you serve over 30 million students. Tell us a little bit about what's, you know, what's, your, what's keeping you up at night about what's going on in the classroom, and what are you dedicated to helping solve or, or try to fix in that equation? Well, Ron, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure for us to be talking about someone who cares as deeply as we do about the space, about the K-12 ecosystem, and how we improve outcomes uh, for students and their families in this ecosystem. I think I'd start with that. When we, when we look around and think about what are the things that keep us up at night, um, what are the things that we're trying to address? We can start right there. I think, um, you know, when we think about what we have to bring to the table at Cambium every day, we start with our purpose. And our purpose at Cambium is to help every teacher and every student 
feel seen, valued, and supported. And so when I'm up at night, sometimes when I'm up at night, I'm up at night thinking about the challenges that everybody in this ecosystem is working together to try to address or working separately to try to address if we're not leveraging one another well. And those challenges are things like the outcomes that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years for students. I mean, before the pandemic, we saw that two thirds of students who reached fourth grade couldn't read proficiently on grade level um, by the time they got there. And then we saw last year's NAEP results come out and we saw the largest drop in reading scores in 30 years. You know, we were already struggling to get where we needed to get to with two thirds of our students before that happened. So when I think about a challenge, that's the kind of challenge that I think about um, when I'm thinking about what's our purpose and what are we trying to do. At the same time, the other reason I might be up at night is not because I'm up at night worrying, but because I'm up at night excited about the opportunity. Um, I, I've, had, I've had folks ask me a similar question, what keeps you up at night? And sometimes what keeps me up at night is the excitement to get started and to keep doing because um, the imperative has never been greater the need has never been greater and the opportunity to make a difference really has never been greater because of that. So I'm, I'm both um, galvanized, frustrated, angry, and also so excited and so hopeful. And it's the combination of those things that keeps me up at night and keeps me running during the day. That's fantastic. Now, Kemi, let's talk about you. Uh, what a background you have from Northwestern to Wharton to Yale, and then to one of the highest positions in the New York public school systems, the country's largest school system, the CIO. So you've been in the vanguard of education. You were in the trenches. You were um, really working with one of the most challenged, but one of the largest and most ambitious school districts in the country. Um, and now you're working in the private sector, and I'm, I'm curious when you look at some of the challenges you face, so many people, and, and the numbers are a little bit alarming, so many people are thinking about leaving the profession or have left the profession or the, the school system, and they're leaving it because of burnout. They're leaving it because they don't feel heard or they don't feel seen. And fundamentally, I think it comes down to this basic issue. Can I really reform K-12? Can I really reform the school district that I'm a part of? And as people progress in their careers, many of them sadly come to the conclusion that they can't. You are not one of those people, though. You continue uh, to inspire others. Your colleagues say you're a change agent. You're someone with a high GSD index. So tell me what's inspiring you as you've made this transition from a school district where you know some of the challenges firsthand. You were living them. No, absolutely. Uh, I came back, I would say home when I came back to home uh, to Cambium. It felt like a homecoming for me, Ron. Uh, I had been in a nonprofit within the education space for about nine years um, and left to do a, a stint in consulting, and I felt like I was missing my home. Um, so what's inspiring me really is diving deep into my DNA. All, my, both my parents were educators. So I come from a family of educators. 
my dad is Nigerian and came here in the 60s, met my mom at the University of Wisconsin, go Badgers. <laughs> um, and, you know, I saw his, how education really changed the trajectory of his life uh, and met my mom. You know, they've been married over 40 years now and they've raised, I hope, some good kids. Um, so what it's inspires me is how do I, how do we replicate the cycle of folks being able to come not only from outside of this country, but within this country to really fulfill their dreams and be able to, you know, maximize their potential. Uh, so when I was at the New York City De Department of Education, we had a million kids, 180,000 teachers, principals, educators, and central office staff. The, sc the scale was humongous. Um, but what inspired me every day, Ron, were the teachers and principals waking up every day, going into their classrooms, um, making sure that their kids were cared for, not just from an instructional perspective, but from, from a whole child, child perspective. perspective. Right. Yes. And so my mother, for example, you know, she was a professor of education along with my dad. They both were professors of education. Actually, they worked at the University of Lagos in Nigeria, the capital city at the time that I lived there. And so I've had firsthand experience of having being educated in, in systems outside of the U.S. And I've been able to see um, how different ecosystems work. And I brought that to my work at the DOE and, and nonprofit in terms of just sharing best practices. So it, it actually saddens me that people are thinking about leaving the profession. My hope and our biggest opportunity is how do we help teachers elevate their practice and really find the reason that they started teaching in the first place. And so my hope working at Cambium is that we're able to give them tools to make things simpler for them. I still remember my mother going back into the classroom after being actually a principal. She went back and back to become a, a math teacher, high school math teacher, because she loved teaching. And so I want more stories like that where teachers are able to find their passion and reignite it because they have the tools that they need to make teaching, um, I don't want to say simpler, simplistic tools so they can actually teach um, teach what's most important and let the technology do some of the hard work. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting insight because what I found over the years is that technology really hasn't delivered in many cases for teachers or in the classroom. And, and it really comes down to three things in my mind. Um, technology has to act on these three things or else it's not worth putting in the classroom or in the district. Number one, it has to take time off task for the teacher who's, you know, who has a time as a premium for them. So if it's something that administratively makes their job of administering papers, grading, any of those things easier, then that's a win. Or it has to fundamentally deliver a better outcome. So you are putting in some time, but it's allowing you to get further with your students, individuate instruction, for example, or do other things. And the third is where it can produce an aha moment, where technology in some, re in, in some respects, in the STEM areas, for example, doing a simulation that you couldn't afford to support in a lab environment in the schools, you can do it on the screen. And it's just as powerful now with the graphics and the interaction that we have available to students. If technology fulfills one of those three, it seems to be helping. Otherwise, it is a massive distraction and impediment to a lot of our teachers. And I think we saw that fundamentally on a grand scale uh, during COVID because we asked, teachers to do, we asked teachers to do the impossible, right? We asked them to move their classroom online with no training, little support, 
and little time on their sides. And so then now we have a lot of parents and, and students and teachers saying online learning doesn't work. And that's not really true. What it means is simply that what doesn't work is not providing training and support to teachers and giving them a new way of completely flipping their classroom, you know, at breakneck speed. That doesn't work. It's not that online learning doesn't work. It's that experiment failed. And I think that's important to point that out. But something else you brought up, Kemi, that I want to go back to before I hit up John for uh, some of his thoughts. And that is one of my guests earlier today, in fact, in the studio, Dr. Jose Medina, was talking about linguistic um, appropriation, and he was talking about linguistic liberation. And ultimately, where he was taking his best practice was around the idea that dual education or dual uh, bilingual education could help people in a multicultural environment. And I think about New York, or I think about my own city, Detroit, that seems to be an important consideration as well, is that we are reaching a point where the diversity in our classroom is such that it, people are polarizing at a time when we need them to actually pull together, where those cultures where they're allowed to, to marinate in a classroom actually improve, enhance, and enrich the learning experience. So, you know, when I listen to you talk about your parents, I think about that. Wow, isn't it a great thing to have people with another experience from Nigeria come into the classroom and share that? Kids don't say, oh, I don't want to hear about that because I need to be focused on my English. Kids have a natural curiosity to learn about the world in which they live. I love that you use the word curiosity. I think that's, that is right on the money in terms of the way I think about learning. And my hope is that it's, you're probably, I'm probably the worst person to ask about uh, 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 multicultural learning. Worst and best person. You know, my parents are from, uh, my, my dad's from Nigeria. My mother's from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I grew up partly in the Midwest and then the South and now New York City. And all my kids were, have lived in New York City and they're trilingual because, you know, they're just like sponges. And so my hope is that students have the ability to be leaders of their own learning and they have boundless choice in terms of how they learn and the tools that they learn and people that they learn from. And so my hope is, to your point, you know, our classrooms are designed to have technology tools that are enabling that, basically expanding the classroom, the physical classroom. And they are given that choice to be, again, leaders of their own learning. Well, I think that goes back to why Ashley's excited, and I can see it in her face and in her remarks. And it has a lot to do, I think, with uh, igniting that curiosity in a classroom, right? Using whatever whatever means are necessary. They could be tech tools, they could be an engaged teacher, or they could be uh, students who are, um, through their own agency, starting to affect the learning and saying, this is what I want to learn. I, can we go down this path a little bit? Um, and so you have project-based learning going on where students have their own agency to create learning that matters to them. And interestingly enough, when they get to those standardized tests or something, they excel in those because they've had, you know, they've had an entirely unique learning experience. John, I want to turn my attention to you. Full disclosure, we've known each other for almost 20 years now, oh, and you've been at the Vanguard <laughs> of K-12 all that time. And as a chief marketing officer, I always think of people in your role as the grand storytellers. And so they're the people who are able to assimilate the things that are going on in the classroom. They're the, they're the people who can uh, point to the teachers that are helping instruction get better uh, for their students or to achieve better outcomes. 
and it's your job to tell the stories. So uh, let's hear from you a little bit about some of the stories that are uh, that keep you excited and engaged in the work that you're doing right now with the team. Yeah, no. Uh, well, first of all, Ron, it's it's great to see you again, as always. Uh, really good to be here, especially with my colleagues. Um, and this is a great conversation. I, you know, I, 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 I love that you started with teachers because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in marketing. So one of the big projects that I embarked on when I uh, arrived at Cambium was to think about Cambium as a brand. And by brand, I think about the stories that make up the organization, that make up, um, you know, the people that we, that, that we, we partner with and serve. Um, so we started talking to those people. I mean, we, we didn't want to just jump into work and we, we just started talking to our colleagues and to teachers and parents and, and you know, as many people as we could who were sort of really living um, the reality. And, and we, we just kept hearing the same things over and over and over again. And, and I'm going to go back to start with to the purpose that Ashley mentioned, which is teachers and students want to feel that they're seen, they're valued. And they're supported. So that purpose is something that just I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's something that came to us. It wasn't something we invented. It was something that we just kept hearing uh, different words, different stories. But at the heart of those stories was that uh, that desire. And so that purpose is what really guides us. But you know, um, as we started to dig into it, we realized that you know a lot of us had worked at different ed tech companies and education companies, and we all kind of. Are, are are in exist for that reason, right? We're all here to help students and teachers to feel successful, to realize their potential. Different ways of saying it, but um, the purpose is shared. And so, we we had to make it clear um, right from the beginning that if we are really going to um, serve the, the teachers and students that uh, we were in in business to serve, we had to answer the question: Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to deliver? on that purpose and how are you going to do that in a different way? And again, we did the exact same thing. We went back and listened and we kept hearing about these same three things over and over again. And to the point where we finally just stopped and said, this is it. Like these are the elements that we need to focus on if we want to deliver on that purpose. And these are the things that we ended up calling our essential elements. And they really came to us through the voices of the people that we talked to. And we strive to, to live these. We do not do it perfectly. It is it is very difficult, but they are kind of these guiding lights for us. And just really quickly, and we've already talked about some of these. Kemi just talked about simplicity, and simplicity is one of our essential elements. You know, teachers just for years, uh, and I heard this in different roles I was in, they just said, you know, give me solutions that actually solve a problem I'm really having in the classroom. You know, don't give me something that I don't need. Don't give me something that makes my life, you know, harder, more complicated. I have a, you know, I, I need to help my students with proficiency. I need to help my students with well-being. Um, how can I do that? And give me things that I want to use to do that. So we try to deliver solutions and provide services and just work as a business with that that striving for simplicity the best that we can. So simplicity is one thing that they told us and one thing that we decided to really lean into. The second one is certainty, which is really all about um, a feeling of being cared for, um, feeling like they're in a safe place, that they are, um, they're, they're, they're growing in their confidence. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people feel confident. And, and it's not just about providing 
you know, research driven materials and efficacy studies, like all of that's really, really important. The things have to work, but they have to feel like this is helping them with the goals that they have. And they have to feel confident in that, that, that we as partners are striving to do that. So certainty was the second element. And then the third one, um, we just call the, the essential element of now, which is a lot of ed tech companies talk about um, this future. You know, they're building the leaders of tomorrow and they're trying to help people get, you know, college and career ready, like all these grand proclamations about the future, which are all, you know, wonderful uh, goals to have. But how do you get to that future? And I always felt it was a bit of a cop out to not answer that question of, well, how do you get to that future? And for us, we try to embody this idea of now, which is how do we make the most of every learning moment every single day for students and teachers? To do that, you have to have solutions that teachers actually um, are, are drawn into, that students are engaged in, that they really want to do each day. And so if, if you want to get to that future, you make the most of today, and then you do it again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And that's how you get to the future. And that's our responsibility as a company. So I mentioned those three elements because those really came from educators and students and parents and administrators, like everybody that we talked to that saying, these are the things we need, and these are the things we're not getting enough of. So if the purpose is driving us, we have to to commit to trying to, to, to embody those three elements if we're going to realize that purpose. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that, John, because it was just drawing a parallel between two other professions that are under siege as a consequence of the massive disruption caused by the global pandemic, and that's uh, healthcare workers and that's restaurant and hospitality workers. All three of them are governed by something you just said. They're governed by this critique of their of their last delivered worst experience. So if you have something that wasn't ideal, that's the that's the measure of the mark that many people use to say, oh, teachers don't get it or teachers don't see that. And that's not really true. They have to replicate an amazing learning experience with each child individually all day long, every day. And I do think that some amount of appreciation for the Herculean challenge that that poses for teachers registered with many parents when they started to see, wow, I'm, I'm sequestered at home, my child is sequestered at home, and I'm watching this teacher on the other end, and they are doing handstands, and they are doing all kinds of things, and they're delivering materials to my door because my 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 child didn't get it today. And what they saw was not so much the content being delivered and the curriculum being followed. What they saw was the passion of a teacher who connects with a student at all costs and in any way, shape, or form that they can find to engage that student in continuing their learning. I think in many respects, that's the gap of now. And that is to say that when we think about technology providers and you've amassed enough uh, girth to the Cambian Learning Organization that you have the resources now to really achieve big things in the classroom, serving 30 million plus students. I think of technology now against the, against the problems that, that students and teachers are having. And let's just go back to last week here in Michigan, where two of you are, are have roots, John and, and uh, Ashley. You both have roots in Michigan here. And so you both know about the story uh, on the campus of Michigan State University. And you may also know, if you follow the story at all, that some of the students that were impacted and shaken by it had only 12 months earlier 
experienced a similar trauma on the campus of their high school. And then there were students that had come from Sandy Hook and were at Michigan State and experienced that. So if we think about that, I, as a, as a parent of grown children, the first thing I say is, wow, oh my God, I'm so thankful that our kids are through the school district. I couldn't imagine teaching my kids how to hide under a desk. That just is traumatizing. That just produces so much anxiety. And so my heart goes out, out to those teachers and those parents in that situation and those children. But what it also says to me is, we now have the means and the technology to make sure that the learning doesn't stop. If a student's not comfortable in the classroom setting, you now have a means by which you can still engage them in whatever environment they're in or in whatever environment they feel safe. And I think that's an important uh, marker of where I believe companies like yours are going to take the future for learning, is that it's not only it's not only individuated in the classroom, it's individuated for that student in their circumstances. So there are no such things as snow days or sick days because they'll have ready at their hands tools and resources that allow them to continue to learn on days whether or not they're in a classroom. I mean, does that make sense, your perspective, Ashley? Yeah, um, Ron, a, a couple of things there to unpack, but I'll um, start backwards forwards. Um, yeah, I think that comes back to something that you mentioned as um, you were talking to Kemi and introducing Kemi just a few minutes ago, which is the how, right? You talked about what a Herculean effort it was for educators, for teachers, for administrators all over the world to suddenly, because of pandemic lockdown, flip their classrooms from in-person instruction and in-person instructional models to online um, instructional models and how challenging that was, how hard that was for so many folks. Um, incredible in terms of what, what, what people were able to achieve, what educators and administrators, what teachers were able to achieve, but also really challenging and as you described, a lot of parents suddenly got a front row seat to just how challenging um, that was, as well as how much effort um, it took to do it. And you also talked about how some people's takeaway there was that, oh, online instruction doesn't work. Um, but I think what's really important is to come back to the how, because for any of us, and this is a big part of what defines our purpose and also the essential elements that we're striving to live by as we think about the challenges that we face in education. Anytime we do something for the first time that we are untrained and unfamiliar with how to do, um, we go ahead and we get everything right. We always deliver 100% perfectly the first time. Absolutely, you know, right on the nose. Every time we try something, um, for the first time as human beings that nobody's given us any training or instruction about how to do false. No, of course, of course, we learn from making mistakes. We make loads of mistakes. And every time we try anything for the first time, uh, we're bound to have challenges. And that doesn't mean that whatever we're trying is wrong or ineffective or doesn't have an appropriate application or an opportunity, whether it's snow days or something else. It just means we weren't supported and we're, we're figuring something out um, for the first time. 
And so when we think about everything from striking the right balance in terms of instructional models, in-person, online, some blend or hybrid of both, when we're thinking about the best way to leverage tools, when we're thinking about the basics, uh, not to hop up on my soapbox again, but every, but when it comes down to the basics like literacy instruction, how to actually teach and build literacy skills or fundamental math skills, we need to learn how and be supported in that process in order to be really good at it. And when we talk about the challenges that educators face, and we talk about whether educators see a future um, for the K-12 ecosystem and whether they want to embrace the challenge in that ecosystem or whether they decide they want to go do something else, we have to ask ourselves, are we supporting them? Are we supporting administrators? Are we supporting teachers in the classroom? And not just supporting them with resources or dollars or whatever, you know, relief funding and those kinds of things, but are we actually training people and giving them the safe space to learn and make mistakes until they get good at something? And experiment until they get it, yeah. until they get it better. And yeah. then implement it. Are we giving Absolutely. educators, are we giving administrators, are we giving teachers that opportunity? Um, are we prioritizing that opportunity? Because if we're not, we're ignoring how learning happens and we're not helping people feel confident when they step into their roles, who wants to show up and do a job every day that you feel like you don't feel equipped to do and you don't feel supported and you're going to fail? Who wants to do that? Absolutely. For our listening and viewing audience, this is Disrupt Ed, and we're listening to Ashley Anderson Zantop, Kemi Akinsanya Rose, and John Jorgensen from Camden Learning. And guess what? Based on what you just said, Ashley, I think we just got this conversation started. So what I'm going to suggest is that we click off right now and end on episode one. And we bring these three back in just a moment. Join us on episode two, where we talk about what this next state of learning is going to look like and how now that we've experimented and our first effort wasn't exactly spot on, what it's going to look like and how we're going to do it next. So stay tuned. Come back to us while you're at it. Subscribe to Disrupt Ed. Join our community. Be part of this growing community of people who get shit done in the world of ginormous disruption. Thanks. We'll be right back to you.